This is um, my last Dharma talk of this session, and tomorrow is a half day, and then we end, go back to our everyday lives again. It's pretty short, isn't it? Let me begin um, this talk with a, with a story, it's a kind of koan. I'm not sure if I've told this story for a long time. Have I ever told you about the monster who lived by the side of the road? Okay, good. I've enjoyed telling this uh, story to lots of groups before. <clears throat> Particularly groups of uh, doctors and psychotherapists. Anyway, there was a monster that lived by the side of the road. And one day, psychiatrist came past and the monster came out from behind his rock and confronted the psychiatrist and said, if you can say the magic words, I'll let you pass. But if you can't say the magic words, I'm going to gobble you up. And the psychiatrist couldn't find the magic words, so the monster gobbled him up. And then, let's say, a neuroscientist came down the road. And the monster came out from behind his rock and said, if you can say the magic words, I'll let you pass. But if you can't say the magic words, I'll gobble you up. And the neuroscientist couldn't find the magic words, so he got gobbled up as well. And then an attorney of law came down the road. And the monster came out from behind the rock and again asked, if you can give the magic words, you can pass. And if not, I'll gobble you up. He got gobbled up as well. Mm -hmm. And then, um, let's see, an academic philosopher came down the road. Same thing happened again. He got gobbled up. And then, down came the road, came um, a farmer with his um, trundling along with his little wheelbarrow full of vegetables. And the uh, monster came out from behind the rock and said, if you can say the magic words, I'll let you pass. But if you can't, I'll gobble you up. And the farmer said the magic words, and the monster let him pass. The question here is, what are the magic words? I'll leave that for you to ponder. This is um, the nature of, uh, of koans in, in, um, in Zen training. Um, but it's important to understand them because koans aren't about um, being clever, as you can perhaps gather by the kind of story. Mm -hmm. it's, not the, it's not cleverness that gets you through. And uh, all koans, which are kind of like the folklore of Zen, you know, have been developed with that in mind. You know, it's like it's something you've got to leave behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's similar to um, that saying in Christianity that one must become um, like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> kind of the cleverness has to be kind of cut off. I really enjoy giving this talk, this, uh, this uh, question to a room full of psychiatrists and psychoanalysts and doctors and psychotherapists. 
and you, you kind of get a sense of your audience from the response because you get some people, even though they may not fully understand what the question is about, they kind of smile. And others go, mm. <laughs> but it's lots of fun. But it's in the spirit of the Zen tradition, going back to Bodhidharma. You know, um, Bodhidharma brought a form of the Dharma to, to China which he said was not, not based on scriptures or words or phrases, based on concepts so much, but it's based on experience. He said, pointing directly to the mind. But perhaps a better way to put that in modern language is directly pointing to experience, and directly pointing to embodied experience, because we associate the mind with intellect and so on. Not mind in that sense, but the, the mind of immediate experience is what Bodhidharma's teachings were directing us back to. Even in Buddhism it can become too heady, you know, too intellectual, too many categories. And then people don't see through to what the original nature of the teaching is. When we follow the Zen tradition through, um, you find this kind of um, humour all the way through it, in the way in some of the koans and some of the, the names that Zen teachers are called. Um, there's a koan about, which I've given a talk on before, which is on the web, um, about a donkey looking at a well. A donkey looking at the well. One, one um, Zen student thought was a good analogy of what Zen practice is, what realization is. Mm -hmm. But his teacher came back and said, Well, that's about four fifths of it. It's more like a well looking at a donkey. And um, Rinzai, one of the great Chinese Zen teachers, referred to his Dharma successor as a blind donkey. You would think my precious dharma is going to be destroyed by this blind donkey. He was praising him. <laughs> and you know, um, uh, Professor Suzuki, you know, who popularised Zen in the 1960s, 70s, um, his dharma name was Dai Setsu. You know what Dai Setsu means? Great donkey. <laughs> Isn't it great to have a, have a religious tradition that doesn't take itself so seriously and be part of that? And what it's pointing to, do you know, um, is great donkeys are people who aren't clever, you know, like farmers, you know, they just do what they need to do. Um, that's where we find the, the great joy of seeing practice. It's cutting through this kind of prison of conceptual understanding of right and wrong and enlightened and delusion and so on um, that we all carry around in us. <clears throat> when we talk about sin being experiential, um, it's important to recognize that that it's about embodied existence. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, when we talk about embodied existence, we we talk about we talk about in metaphorical language in our everyday life, you know, about our gut feeling about something, and um, we talk about coming from the heart you know, in our experience. And these two things, these two metaphors, really guide um, a lot of our way in living a Zen life. Living from the heart, you know, is the is the essence of living from compassion and connection, you know, with everything. Um, and living out of our gut feeling is kind of what the nature of wisdom is. You know, it's a kind of you get a something happens in your life, you know, you meet someone, you're in a certain situation, and you have a kind of gut feeling, and you can't quite put your name on it, but it's kind of speaking to you. And a lot of Zen practice gets you back into being in touch with that gut feeling. So that's what immediately arises in a situation before you even kind of think about it. A lot of our education system has trained us out of that. It's trained us, out, trained us out of embodiment, out of experiencing our heart, you know, what comes in and what goes out of the heart. And it's trained us out of our gut feeling, out of our intuitiveness. A lot of it's not, not valued so much. Um, but these are the kind of uh, it's the kind of experience you cultivate through just sitting there hour after hour, just being present. Something shifts. Something becomes more embodied in your life, and and you develop that gut feeling more, and you come from the heart more. Not because you're necessarily thinking about it, because it just happens, because it's your true nature. That's what we return to. Our ambition in Zen is to be great donkeys. Um, in um, in traditional Buddhism, they talk about um, the five hindrances, which are um, hindrances to actually practicing the Dharma, and uh, to listen is um, desire or grasping desire, um, ill will, sloth, restlessness. In doubt. Um, but I'd like to add another five that I've just sort of named, which I think are extra kind of hindrances that are sort of modern day or contemporary day hindrances in the in the culture in which we live. Um, cynicism, distraction or distractibility, personal ambition, cleverness, narcissism. These are all, all things which actually block um, our true nature from coming through in some kind of way. Um, when we come to um, a session like this for a, for a sangha for a week, you know, or a sangha for a year, you know, or for a lifetime, whatever, but it's a, a coming together of people in a community to actually practice together. We all practice on our own, but this is coming together as a community to practice, a sangha where we support one another. 
It's a little bit like my Irish music practice. You now we all practice alone at home and then we come together and play together each week. And it's kind of what we do with our practice. We do our practice individually and then we come together to play together, to share practice with one another. Um, but when you leave here, you go back into your own domestic situation and into your own life. And it's important that you're creating your own domestic sangha as well. You know. <coughs> and I'm not just talking about other adults. You know, um, I'm talking about animals and children, you know, old people. People who aren't, or beings who aren't caught up in pride so much are a good sangha to hang out with because what they're like rubs off on us. Mm -hmm. um, R.H. Blythe in his um, wonderful book, which I'd encourage you to read sometime, which is called um, Zen in English Literature and Oriental Classics. Um, and when you look at the, the last chapters in his book, um, they're on animals, children, idiots and old men, <laughs> poverty. And he actually said that he, he actually came to Zen through a love of animals. That's what brought him to Zen practice, a love of dogs and cats and birds and insects and so on. And it was through that, through that love, that kind of innocence of, of animals and their sort of unpretentiousness, um, living out their Buddha nature, that he came to Zen practice. So we can see our Buddha nature in, in animal nature in many ways. The original person. So, hang out with children if you've got them. Get yourself a dog or a cat. Mm -hmm. Look at the moon. Look at the stars. Mm -hmm. Look at the fog. Look at the clouds. All of these things are our sangha that bring us back to that natural state of, of innocence, and guilelessness again. When I was when I used to teach years ago, um, also um, as a Zen student too, I used to get asked to do various dharma talks around the place, and um, usually used to go along and do them. Now I've become um, much more selective um, in giving talks to different groups because I find there's um, quite a, a variance um, in terms of whether people are ready to hear a practice like this. <clears throat> um, some groups I go along to go to that group and, and give a talk and the kind of the atmosphere you're in and the, um, and the questions that people ask because they're in they're sort of grounded in practice. They're questions that come from the heart. Mm -hmm. But I've gone along to other groups and um, the kind of questions you get are these sort of clever intellectual questions to try and trick you out, you know, and to argue over fine points of Buddhist philosophy and so on. And um, I've kind of gone away from those talks feeling like I wasted my time. You know, and it could have been better spent um, running a dog or sailing or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, a year or two ago when um, I was overseas, I visited um, uh, Diane Rosetto 
and I, she invited me to give a Dharma talk during her session in San Francisco. And um, again, her, you know, the vast majority of her group of people who are grounded in practice and the questions I ask come from the heart. Um, but there was one person who got caught up in these kind of intellectualized word games and I was talking to Diane about it later and she really doesn't, he usually just doesn't usually practice, he just sort of goes from teacher to teacher to teacher. Um, which gave me an understanding of where he was coming from and some of the suffering behind that. Um, but when we're, when we're grounded in practice, the questions come from the heart, not up here. Um, the next um, session um, that we'll be running is actually one which will be um, run by Diane. So I'm doing a little bit of a sales pitch for her here. Um, but Diane is a, is a wonderful teacher and she's um, about 70 years old. Um, I think she was She's an old friend of Joko's and um, an old student of Joko's. So I think it was her first or second Dharma successor, successor and she's been teaching for a long time. And um, I would encourage you to, to come along to her um, three-day session um, in August this year to meet a, a really wonderful grounded teacher. And as you know, or you probably know, um, uh, Diane's book is on the precepts, you know, waking up to what we do. And as I was saying in, a, in an earlier um, talk, um, earlier this week, um, is that um, meditation and ethical training or precepts and insight make up the three aspects of Zen training. It's a synergy between the three of them together that make up the practice. And if you reflect on it, um, the precepts, in a way, are the royal road to innocence, the royal road to, to Buddha nature, of coming back to that reminding us of that um, original nature that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, we can get distorted by pride and conceptualising and cleverness, etc., but it's what we we truly are. And uh, um, what I'd like to do in um, ending this talk is actually for, us, for all of us to just go through reciting the precepts again as a reminder to practice and as something to take back into our everyday life. So what I'd like to do, I'd just like to sit more formally in a, in a sasin posture. And maybe in Gasho too. And what I'll do is that um, I'll recite the, um, the precept by myself and then you just repeat it after me as a group and then we'll go through them. <coughs> I take up the way of speaking truthfully. I take up the way of speaking of others with openness and possibility. 
and take up the way, speaking to fathers with priorities and possibility. I take up the way of meeting others on equal ground. I take up the way of meeting others on equal ground. I take up the way of cultivating a clear mind. I take up the way of cultivating a clear mind. I take up the way of taking only what is freely given. I take up the way of only taking what is freely given. And giving freely of all that I can. And giving freely of all that I can. I take up the way of engaging in sexual intimacy respectfully and with an open heart. I take, I take up the way of engaging in sexual intimacy respectfully <laughs> and with an open heart. I take up the way of letting go of anger. And lastly, I take up the way of supporting life. Our school is called the Ordinary Mind Zen School. The Ordinary Mind Zen School is the stupid way. <laughs> The donkey's way. Mm -hmm. But if you follow the donkey's way, you'll experience idiot joy <laughs> and idiot love, yeah. idiot zen. Thank you. in the soul centered dream. Only suffering, holding the self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion way. Called in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding the self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment. Life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding the self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way.